This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 11th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. As COVID-19 appears poised to surge again, so much focus is paid to what the feds will do to subsidize or deregulate, what states will do to make legal again basic activities, and almost no attention is paid to how cities might respond to these difficult economic times. The Better Cities Project has released Getting Back to Work, an Economic Recovery Playbook for Cities. I spoke with Patrick Tuhi of the Better Cities Project last week. We are in the midst of a global viral pandemic that, for the most part, no one at the beginning of this year, no one was really predicting. Uh, This has knocked a huge hole in uh, state budgets, in local budgets. It has taxed health departments. It has taxed the private sector enormously. So um, to the extent that it is reasonably safe to do so, or proper accommodations can be made in order to minimize risks associated with it, what's the best way for city-level officials, absent the feds and state governments, uh, any actions they might take, what can they do to minimize the economic disruptions of this pandemic? Well, the disruptions are going to be significant, you know, and it's not just going to be uh, people not being able to go to work and uh, services that are stretched, but of course, sales tax, income tax uh, hits, property tax hits, and every municipality is going to have their own sets of strengths and obstacles. You know, we're not all New York City, uh, but one of the things that remains true across all these uh, cities is that they can start partnering uh, with the entrepreneurs, the innovators, the business owners to make the recovery from this as quickly as possible. And, and oftentimes it just means kind of metaphorically standing with them, giving them the benefit of the doubt, allowing them to do what they do best, right? Serve food, build houses, cut hair, uh, provide for you know uh, 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 public health information, uh, but really uh, try to facilitate as much of their work as possible over the next coming months and years. So uh, you guys have produced uh, a book detailing uh, what cities ought to do. Getting back to uh, getting back to work is the yeah. the, na- the title. What are well, some of the broad based recommendations? Uh, you know, I, and I, my, I get the sense that a lot of this is what you all consider to be low hanging fruit when it comes to uh, cities that are trying to jumpstart their economies. Well, that's exactly right. You know, no city knows what their state or the federal government is going to do. This isn't about uh, how to qualify for aid necessarily. This is just how can you leverage the the innovators, the workers in your community? And and so we looked at a number of areas. Uh, One, for example, is very simple. It's government transparency, making sure that uh, you are responsibly spending the money you are collecting. Uh, We talk about economic development that oftentimes cities, uh, especially coming out of a pandemic, should invest in people and not things as they have in the past. Uh, We talk about uh, a housing policy uh, that they can adopt that, again, makes sure that uh, 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 needy communities are are taken care of and that people who want to build uh, and increase density are are taken care of. Uh, And we talk about, again, finance. So you're exactly right. These are things that cities actually can do, that they can do themselves, and that allows them to be a partner in growth. Because really, a city is not going to be able to grow itself out of this. It's got to count on its business owners and its entrepreneurs to do that work. And and so uh, with respect to some specific 
uh, policies that a city can adopt without anyone's permission that would make both their workers and their local businesses happy, what would they be? So for example, in housing, there are an awful lot of things that cities can do to encourage construction, uh, to encourage construction, just, uh, you know, uh, to allow a person who owns a home who wants to uh, add an apartment, maybe over the garage or, or, or add something in the backyard that allows for a, a mother-in-law or a grandparent uh, to live, the city can work with them rather than the regulation regimen they've had up to this point, which, which oftentimes just assumes the worst on behalf of the homeowner. Um, we know that one of the uh, biggest costs of building housing is often dealing with regulation, dealing with uh, activists who can drag out the process and make the process much more expensive. Even before this pandemic, we had a shortage of housing in the United States, uh, and we need to, uh, I think, build two and uh, two and a half million units just to catch up with need. And we've got more of that going forward. So again, it's just uh, cities can provide for a framework that allows people to invest, that allows people to build, and encourages that job growth, encourages that investment, especially when we're in a when a pandemic where we desperately need to come out of it. Okay. So with respect to uh, taxes and fiscal policy, uh, you know, a, a standard issue uh, request that we might see from self-styled conservatives or libertarians would be simply, well, you've just got to radically cut spending and taxes. Uh, you know, absolutely. Uh, the problem is, in this case, the cities are going to be strapped for cash. I don't know that it is uh, feasible, that it is realistic to ask cities to cut uh, taxes, cut their tax rates when what they're going to be receiving right now is is going to be such a problem. But certainly, they can change the way they report their spending. They can provide uh, annual reports. They can increase transparency. If they don't follow uh, generally accounted uh, uh, practices right now. They can adopt GASB practices that, again, just make sure that the people that they are asking to support them uh, have access to how that money's being spent, uh, can see uh, where the money's going. One of the most important things about transparency is not just transparency for transparency's sake, but that if you share with the people what you're doing and what your goals are, you increase their confidence in your ability and they increase uh, their buy-in in what you're trying to do. So, uh, you know, before we started recording, uh, you suggested that uh, a lot of people believe that the most dangerous thing uh, <laughs> out there is a politician with an idea. Um, it you know, reminds me of Mencken's review of Calvin Coolidge, which was uh, he had no ideas and he was not a nuisance. Um, but these are ideas, right? Well, the danger is not so much ideas themselves, but it, it, a politician who wants to do something. Right. Uh, the, the idea of we've got to do something. And oftentimes, if it's not a, a good idea, uh, we end up doing something that makes the problem worse. We wanted to reach out to these policymakers that are on the front lines of the United States economy and the hundred biggest cities uh, and say, listen, there are things that you can do that are constructive, uh, that allow you to take initiative, allow you to be responsive to public demand to do something, but that are tested uh, that we know in other markets have been successful and so that you can bring your city out of this, not just a kind of do something, anything mentality. We didn't want politicians to be very eager to do something and not have a playbook on, on what it is they should be doing. What about housing and zoning? Um, the, the proposals, uh, and I'll let you detail them, strike me as ones that would have an organized opposition. I think leading up to this pandemic, 
there were an awful lot of people who maybe had grown comfortable in their communities and really wanted to resist change. Uh, we are in a truly unprecedented challenge right here in the U.S. economy. And I think we, we really need to focus on the policies that we know that work, the policies that construct housing, that reduce the cost of housing, that increase the speed with which housing is built. Uh, you know, I think uh, in, in certainly in New York and in California, this pandemic really exposed uh, the homeless population, the underserved uh, population, and the need for housing because it, it became a health uh, concern. Um, there will always be at uh, local and state and federal policy people who uh, are, uh, uh, you know, have different views. Uh, but I think this pandemic really presents an opportunity for us to overcome bad habits of the past, uh, to realize that public policy is really important and that we need to focus on the end result. And, and too often, I think, uh, in cities, we've allowed ourselves to, to, to uh, too oftentimes in local policy, we've gotten caught up in, in maybe what's convenient or we've allowed ourselves to get soft. Uh, this pandemic hopefully will focus people's attention on the hard things they need to do to actually get results and to get results for the most people in their city, not just for a few people ensconced in nice neighborhoods who want to protect uh, you know, protect their housing uh, with zoning regulations. So uh, I, I suspect that there is an opportunity here, particularly in housing, uh, that there are a lot of young families um, having lived through this pandemic who are making, prepared to make very different choices about employment, very different choices about their living arrangements, uh, and you know, maybe a, a smaller city uh, is the option that they want to take. Or, you know, there are no, numerous kinds of decisions that people are going to be making about housing and living arrangements in the near future that could well be permanent changes in America. Well, one of the reasons why we founded the Better Cities Project is because we love cities. I love dense areas. I love the opportunities that they provide. I love the benefits of density. But a pandemic like this uh, turns that density uh, into uh, into a bug, frankly, not so much a uh, a benefit. And I think you're exactly right. A lot of young people, a lot of uh, elderly people, may reconsider the value of density, the value of living in in urban areas. And so that really underscores the importance that cities make themselves a more attractive place to live. And to the degree that they are expensive to the degree that they are overly regulated, to the degree that they are not welcome places to work and to uh, you know, open businesses, they've got to address that. And so the getting back to work really says, you know, you've got to clear out a lot of the cobwebs uh, because what you were able to tolerate in January 2020, you can't tolerate anymore in January 2021. Patrick Tuhi is the policy director at the Better Cities Project we spoke last week. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.